You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. You guys ready to go to work? Here we go. Uh, We are talking about worship for the next three weeks, and uh, we're talking about why we worship. Worship is warfare. Um, Worship, and this week we're going to focus on how worship encourages me. Then we're going to focus on how worship encourages the people around us. And then we're going to talk about how worship influences our community. And, and I really think this is important. What I love about this series at this stage, way back in February when we did the first, um, one, the first worship series, Kelly and I were um, really at a position where we were just kind of I have this picture on my computer. Um, if I'd have been on my A game, I would have given it, I would have put it up on the screen. But it's of a guy walking down a street in a city in Europe during World War II, and it had been bombed. And so this, this place is just, I mean, these buildings are still standing, but they're all blown up to pieces. Like, like that was kind of what our life was like. Uh, we were walking down the street like, okay, the dust has settled, what do we do now? It's kind of, that's where we were at. And God was really working with us in this whole idea of worship and what he wanted to do in us and through us in worship. And now we get to kind of stand on the other side and look back at what God has done through our worship and in us and through us to other people and how that's been working. So there's some, some experience in that. Um, I really believe we do not give worship enough credit in our lives. And, and there's a lot of reasons why. Worship is, it's, uh, it's emotional. Not in the sense that it's emotionalism, but it, worship cultivates a really deep intimacy with God. And because of that, we're afraid of it. And, and for some of us, and you got to try this on, maybe it's you, maybe it's not, I'm not accusing anybody, but for some of us, the reason why we don't like worship isn't because we don't like to sing or because we don't like music, it's because we don't want to feel. And, and I'm just telling you, 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 you're free to choose how you want to stand on that, but you're never going to experience everything that God has for you if you're going to stand in that place. Like God wants so much more for you. And in feeling, emotional connectedness, intimacy is a piece of our life with God and with other people. Like it's just part of it. And I know that's scary. And let me validate every fear. People will take advantage of it. They will hurt you. Yes, they will. God calls us to it anyway. And God will do things in, his, in our life that we're like, God, I don't understand what you're doing. And it will hurt and we will wonder. Yes, that will all happen and God calls us to it anyway because it's still better than living life numb. So this idea of worship is really, really critical. Now, before I go any further on this, I want to also say this as a premise. We don't worship worship, okay? Worship isn't the point. Relationship with God is a point. Worship is a vehicle that gets us there, okay? So if you think about tools in a toolbox, worship is one of the tools that we use to facilitate our relationship with the Lord and to create space for God to work in our world and in the world around us. We'll talk about that. Every tool has its purpose. And when you're using, like, for example, if you use a hammer, a framing hammer, to put up walls with a two-by-four, a framing hammer is the perfect tool to use for that. If you use a framing hammer to install a window, maybe not. Are you with me? 
Like maybe that's not the perfect tool. I'll tell you a story. My buddy Jim, who's the pastor in Post Falls, um, we were putting in a window unit air conditioner in his house one day, and Jim is the only person that I know that is worse at mechanically inclined than I am. And I'm, I'm kind of like, if I can't fix it with my mouth, it ain't getting done. He's can't even fix it with his mouth. Um, he can't do it. So, uh, so here's the thing. We're, we're trying to install this thing, and it's got a, got a bracket that kind of butts up against the wall, and then a piece that sticks out that the air conditioner sits on, and then this bar that goes down as support for the outside. And it, at the bottom of this vertical bar, there's a hole that a two, that's like a two and a half inch lag screw is supposed to go into this. Now, Jim does not have a screw gun of any kind. So I was like, Jim, what are we going to do? He goes, I'll get it. So he goes and gets a big screwdriver, just a big screwdriver, and he starts screwing a two and a half inch lag bolt into the side of his house. And he, well, he gets it in about an inch and a half and he can't turn it anymore, right? Because this is a big old screw and it's going inside your house. And he's like, and he's shaking, you know, and it's like testing his manhood and now it's personal. And so I'm laughing at him. I'm like, you know, you're a moron. I mean, that's exactly what I would have done, but you did it, not me. So, you know, there's, so he goes, I'll fix it. So he goes in his house and gets a hammer. Not even joking. It's a, it's a lag screw. Like it's got big old wide threads on it, right? And he's, so he takes, I was like, dude, I don't think that's a good idea. Whack cracks the siding and puts a huge, like, big old hole in the side of his house. Like, a hammer is a perfect tool for the right context. It's really bad in the wrong context, right? Same with worship. It's the right, in the right context, it's the perfect tool. And this corporate environment is the perfect context for worship. It's a perfect tool here. So we want to use that to help us and to help those around us to be able to understand more deeper intimacy with God, more connectedness with God, okay? So I want to I throw up a passage here. This is kind of the theme passage for this series. And, and here's why I, I, I want to reiterate something. We're going to focus on this series of worship, and I understand that there's lots of different versions of worship, or worship can take on a lot of different forms, but for this series, what, what we're talking about is corporate singing or individually singing as a discipline, okay? Because I believe corporate worship is great. Uh, you should have a discipline of personal worship time with the Lord. You should have that as part of your spiritual regimen. That's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, and here's the thing. You know this. Sometimes in your life, God, life throws you a curveball. Circumstances happen where uh, the only thing that speaks to you is a song. Uh, it's just the way it is. I remember um, my, my mom a few years ago got a kidney infection and her, her whole body went septic. And she almost died. The doctors weren't sure that they could get on top of it. It was far enough along that they weren't sure that they could get on top of it. And, and my, my, mom, my mom is the toughest woman in the entire world. Like, you, there's no discussion about it. She just turned 74. Two weeks ago, she shot a moose. Not, and then a week later, she shot a huge white-tailed buck. She's 74 because that's how she rolls. That's my mom. Like, she is the toughest human being like that I know. Um, 
Like I watched her in her hospital bed writhing in pain, crying to the Lord to let her die because she was in so much pain. And I went to the nurse's station and I said, hey, is there anything that you can give her to help? Because when that woman is writhing in pain, it's real. And they were like, um, you're going to have to figure out how to get her to calm down. I was like, yeah, I, I received that well. <laughs> the only thing, this is, and I don't understand this, all of this, but the only thing that brought me any comfort was the old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Right? When, when peace like a river tends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well it is well with my soul. And I sang that over. It was sometimes a song is the only thing to get you through. And you just hit repeat and play it over and over and over again, right? Like sometimes that's it. I want to talk about today, how does our worship encourage us, me personally? How does it keep me focused? Okay, and so I want to begin with 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is kind of a theme passage for this uh, series. Let's read it. It says, for we, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when our disobedience is complete. Here's what he says. We don't wage war the way the world does. We do business in the spiritual world. That's that's where our war lies, right? So there's a couple of pieces of this that I want to pull out and take a look at. One is, um, the first point is that our worship does work in the spiritual world. Now, I, I'm not saying that, and so there's a demon behind every bush and you have the, the demon of the flu. No, you have a virus of the flu, right? That's true. Um, or that you have... You know, the demon of the cold weather has come to sit upon North Idaho and we can pray him out. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. There are people that are like, it's all, it's all demonic, right? Like, the, anything bad that happened to you is a demon. Well, sometimes it was life, right? Like, my car broke down, the demon of the car breakdown. No, you didn't change the oil, and so it seized up. That's a problem. I might be able to tell you a story about that that doesn't make me look good, but that's another <laughs> sermon for another. Like, sometimes life just happens, right? It's not spiritual, but there is a spiritual reality to where we live. And for us in the Western world, we kind of start with the five senses, what we can see, taste, smell, touch, hear. Um, and then we kind of try to impose a spiritual world on top of that. From an Eastern perspective, everything is profoundly spiritual. Like it's all interconnected. There really is no separation. And so how we engage, even in the physical world, how we engage with one another is directly tied to how we're engaging to the forces around us, okay? We have to understand that all of our spiritual disciplines help us to do work in the spiritual world. 
And worship is a key piece to that. Okay, that's the first part. We don't wage war the way the world does. Let's look at Ephesians chapter six. Here's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You don't put on the armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of government or your mean boss or your unkind neighbor. That's not why... Because that's not where our war is. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People aren't the problem. And when you take it out on people, you show that you don't understand the role of an intimate relationship with God and how it's supposed to translate into your life. But against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, not rulers like government rulers, rulers in this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where our war is. And worship does business in that space. We don't wage war the way the world does. We wage war on, our, on God's terms in our world, in the spiritual world. Because what we believe is that there's a world beyond this that is actually more significant and eternal. This isn't all there is. And so that's where we do business. And in that space, we do business in order to create space here for God to work and move in the physical world. So we want to worship because it opens up doors for God to work here. Now, I, let me qualify it because I know our skeptics be able you know. I keyed. Um, we understand that sometimes when we worship, God does crazy things, and sometimes when we worship, God doesn't do crazy things. Sometimes when we worship, we faithfully endure. Right? So our worship does business in the spiritual world. But the second piece that I want to point out in this passage and what he says, it take, we take every thought captive. Well, how do we do that? Our worship helps us to keep our mind and our perspective correct. Whether we're delivered from our situation or not. Let me be clear to you. Sometimes when we worship, God shows up and changes our circumstances. And sometimes he doesn't. Now, here's a thing to consider. How many stories in the Bible do you know of where people, um, they got a call from the Lord. Abraham got this call from the Lord. You're going to be, God changed his name to father and he never had a kid yet. Changed his name to father of nations. And he didn't even have a kid yet. Joseph, Joseph was 17 years old when he had a vision that his brothers were going to bow down to him. He was 42 when it was fulfilled. Here's a question. If God waited that long for you, would you still be faithful? Like, I, I've heard people say this a lot. Like, I just want to be part of New Testament church. I want to be part of New Testament church. What they mean by that is God shows up and does all these crazy things and miracles and does God do that in the New Testament? Yeah, but the problem for us is we read two sentences and forget that they were five years apart. Like God showed up and did this thing. And then there was five years of faithful grinding. And then God showed up and did this, but we don't read that part. We just read the two sentences. 
The problem with the Bible is that it's a God highlight reel. <laughs> like there's a lot of faithfulness involved in that process. Are you with me? There's a lot of faithfulness in that. And like, yes, does God show up and do that stuff? Yes, but will you be faithful until he chooses to do it and create space favorable in the spiritual world for him to work? For too many of us, we're like, I'll worship for a week, God, but if you don't do your thing, I'm out. I don't trust you. You hurt my feeler, right? You, you're not faithful, God. He's like, really? Um, have you seen anything that I've done in history? I, I love, um, there's a story in Joshua. This is not part of your sermon notes. This is bonus material. This is not another sermon for another day. This is a sermon for right now. Um, there's a story in Joshua where right before the children of Israel are getting ready to move into the promised land, an angel shows up to Joshua. And Joshua says, now remember, these are God's chosen people, and they're getting ready to go in against the evil pagan Jerichoans. The angel of the Lord comes, and Joshua asks him, are you for us or are you against us? And here's what the angel says. Neither. I'm an angel of the God most high, and I do what he says. See, we tend to think that when we worship, we get God on our side. Let me be real clear to you. Worship is all about making your heart more like God's heart, not getting God to do what you want. I can tell you that the worship journey that my wife and I have been on just in our own relationship has changed everything and nothing. Uh, what we keep saying is nothing has changed and everything's different. Yes. Like, because once you allow God's perspective to be what reigns in your home, it's, everything's different. Doesn't, like the, the things that used to bug you, they don't bug you. So if you've if you got trouble with your spouse, the problem isn't like, Lord, fix my spouse. The problem is, Lord, come and reign in my home. Make my mind like your mind. Make my heart like your heart so that I can see my spouse from your perspective. Then I can love that person properly. Our worship does, in fact, sometimes lead to God doing great things, but sometimes it doesn't. So our worship helps us keep our perspective right, whether God comes and changes things or not. So there's a story in Acts chapter 16 that's awesome. Paul and Silas are in a place called Philippi, and there's this little gal who's demon-possessed, and she's a fortune teller. And she's going around behind them shouting out, oh, you're the servants of the God most high, blah, blah, blah. And I love, and again, this is one of those things where it's so vanilla eyes, but I love this moment where it says, and Paul, greatly annoyed, <laughs> I love that, greatly annoyed, turns around and he casts the demon out of her. And when her slave owners realize that they can no longer make money with her because her ability to tell people's fortunes is gone, they arrest Paul and Silas and have them thrown into prison. Now, consider the setup. Have you ever done the right thing and gotten really bad results from it? Yeah. How do you feel when that happens? Oh, really, God? Like, really? 
I did the right thing and it totally backfired. Why would I even want to do what's right anymore? If you really were God, I mean, you said to trust you and I did and like, here's the thing. I want you to see where they're at. So let's look at Acts 16. About midnight, where are Paul and Silas? In jail at midnight. Now this isn't jail like we think of jail. It's not like three squares in a cot, right? This is chains, dungeon, nasty, dark, bleh. I don't want to get all technical on you. <laughs> About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Why? Because he's worthy. Now be clear about this. God's going to show up and do something really cool. But that's not why they're worshiping. They're worshiping because God is worth worshiping. Here's what it says. And the prisoners were listening to them. Because they didn't have any place to go. Like, I guess I don't have anywhere else to be. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. And so the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Who's everyone? All the prisoners, all of them. Now, let's say you are sitting in the prison in Philippi. You are not Paul and Silas, but you hear these guys singing to their God. All of a sudden there's an earthquake and the chains, bloop, they fall off. Because that's what happens in an earthquake. If it's me sitting there, I'm like, that was awesome, I'm out, <laughs> right? That, that, if it was me, that's where I would go. Here's what happens. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Why? Because he assumed that the prisoners were like me. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, for all here. Who's all of us? Everybody, not only did they worship God, not because they wanted the chains to fall off, but because they, God was worth worshiping. But then after the chains did fall off, they weren't walking out like, did you see what my God did? Step off. They, they didn't, they, they were like, hey, uh, we're still prisoners, guys. We all need to stay here. And they talked everyone into staying, which is Crazy. But here's what it leads to. And the jailer called for the lights and rushing in, trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought him out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because having that kind of integrity, because their mind was right, their decision-making process wasn't clouded with selfishness. It was reminded about who God is and how faithful he is and how good he is and how amazingly powerful he is. And because that was their perspective, they didn't feel like they had to take their own lives into their own hands. And because of that, Philippian jailer gets saved. Him and his whole household come to know the Lord. Now, they weren't worshiping so that the chains would fall off. They just did. What they did was they created a space favorable for God to work. And that was enough. And God showed up. So they did their battle in the spiritual world and it showed up in a physical thing. Are you with me? Sometimes that happens. 
Sometimes it doesn't. Think about uh, Job. The story of Job, he uh, has a lot, he's got, he's got many riches, many goats. He's got many goats. Satan comes to God as the angels are parading themselves before God. And he says, hey, um, I'll tell you why Job worships you. Because you protect him so much, you won't let anything bad happen to him. And God's like, all right, uh, well, uh, do whatever you want, just don't touch him. And Satan unleashes on Job. All of his wealth wiped out in an instant. And all of his children, now Job loved his kids. In fact, the, the, it says that Job would go and offer sacrifices on his kids' behalf just in case they had sinned. He didn't even know whether they had sinned or not. But just in case they had, he would go and offer sacrifices because he loved them so much. They were all uh, having dinner together at the oldest child's house, and a wind comes in, blows the cornerstone out, the house collapses, and all 10 of them die. I don't know if you have ever sat with parents who've lost a child, but there is no deeper grief. Only God knows the love that a parent has for a child. There is no deeper grief, and he lost 10. If anyone was ever entitled to say, God, what the heck? Job, in this moment, has that space. Here's what he does. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return to the, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with doing wrong. Whoa. Now, does God deliver him out of his mess because of this worship set? The answer is no. And in fact, it gets worse. He gets boils all over his body. And then he has some really, really bad friends who try to be awesome, but they try to fix him and rescue him, which is why in your home group you have these rules. No fixing and no rescuing. If you're like, why can't we do that? Read Job. <laughs> it's only helpful if it's helpful. And then his wife looks at him and says, just curse God and die. This is too much. Nobody should have to bear this. Job's worship did not rescue him out of his circumstances. In fact, his circumstances actually got worse. What it did do was remind him of the truth of the perspective that he needed to have in order to endure his circumstances well. Sometimes we worship and God just shows off and the chains fall off. And I love that. Sometimes we worship 
as a reminder to our own selves that the character of God hasn't changed just because our circumstances did. And that's important for us to know too. Um, I, gotta, I have an amazing, my kids are amazing. And I always tell stories about my kids. Uh, my, uh, I, have a, I have a son who really struggles with anxiety and depression, like debilitatingly so, to the point where um, I have come home to him in the middle of a panic attack, just like not able to move. And we don't, like neither one of us, like nothing happened. Um, we don't understand it. And there was a point where uh, he was like, if this is what living is, I don't want it. And I don't blame him. Like, I, I get it. I remember when um, one, it got particularly bad at one point, at multiple points, but this one in particular. And my wife and I had been moving through this worship journey just as a couple, and, and it was funny. Separately from one another, the Lord gave us the same two songs. Um, very directly, very plainly, said, you're going to sing these two songs over your son. And so we did. Um, it's been really incredible to watch as... In some levels, nothing has changed, and yet everything's different. Like, it's so amazing to watch God work in the midst of this really, really hard thing. My, I'll tell you, I'll brag on my son. Um, this is how smart he is. So his anxiety was so bad that um, he was struggling at school. Like, he, the crowds and like it just was really hard for him. And so we were like, you know what? Let's just, just work at home, get your GED and move on with life. Like you don't, there's a lot of options other than suffocating in high school. Um, he didn't really do anything that year. And then we got more involved. Um, and he, this is cool. He went down to the learning center to, uh, take his pretest to see how he could study for his GED. <laughs> and he got advanced scores on all the pretests. They were like, um, you're not even supposed to be able to score this high on your math test. Like, you don't need us. Just go take your test. So he went and took his test and got advanced college placement scores on all of it on first time, no studying. So here's the moral of the story. He skipped two years of high school and then passed his GED with advanced college placement scores. I was like, that's just, you're brilliant. Uh, uh, you know, if, anyway, it's been amazing to watch as God has faithfully led us not out. We're not out of these circumstances, but he's led us through them in some really amazing, profound ways. And in some ways, nothing has changed, and yet everything's different. Our worship, sometimes God, we're, we're doing business in the spiritual world. We're creating an environment favorable for God to work. And when we worship, sometimes God shows up and the chains fall off. 
and sometimes he doesn't. But worship helps my perspective be right so that regardless of the circumstances, I can be reminded of the truth of God's character because that doesn't change. And with that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. Which if you're new with us, we take communion every week. We have an open table, which means that you are welcome. If you're willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us, you're invited to partake in communion. But we want you to hold the elements till the end. And we'll take it all together. Um, while they're passing that out, I want to work through a few implications. Uh, implication number one. Sometimes... The only thing that will bring us strength in our life is worship. Sometimes it's not just the right tool. Sometimes it's the only tool. Uh, if we're not willing to engage it well, we're robbing ourselves of the peace that comes from an intimate relationship with God. Implication number two. In the midst of our trials, we don't worship so that God will take the chains away. We worship because God's promises are true, regardless of our circumstances, and that means more when we face hard things. Will you stay faithful between the call and its fulfillment? You know, Paul had his Damascus Road experience with Jesus 14 years before his first missionary journey. Would you have waited 14 years? It's interesting the, the distance between call and fulfillment. Here's what I can tell you, though. Throughout the Bible, the people who endure life well worship their way through it. The people who endure life well worship their way through it. I love hearing our people as they face really hard circumstances saying, I don't understand this, I don't like it, but I'm worshiping my way through it. Yes, yes. I would rather have anything other than this set of circumstances, but I'm worshiping my way through it. Last implication. Worshiping in the midst of tragedy refines our character for the blessing that waits on the other side. Will you be there when the blessing shows up? Uh, I know um, promises that God has given me in my own life that he has not fulfilled yet. And I would guess that if you thought it through, that's also true for you. Apparently, I'm not ready to handle those promises yet. So will I stay faithful in the meantime? Will I be able to be there when the blessing comes and have the character to withhold it? Do you know that in the New Testament, the New Testament writers counted suffering a privilege? Here's what they said. James, count it all joy when you endure trials of very kind. First Peter, don't be surprised at the painful suffering that you're enduring as if something strange was happening to you. He says, rejoice. Why? Why can they do that? Here's why. What they consistently say is this, because suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. 
And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. So when you face a trial, you should be like, sweet. I'm going to be a hope fiend. <laughs> See what I did there? What are they? <laughs> I just went CR on you right there, didn't I? I'm going to be a hope fiend. Like, I, like hope doesn't disappoint us. If I want to get to the, the, yay, I'm so glad I'm a Christian, I got to go through a lot of, God, what in the world are you doing? But I'm going to be faithful. Communion reminds us that the way that we endure well is to lay our lives down. That's why I love taking communion every week because this call back to the central truth of stop pressing your own agenda and start letting the Lord do what he wants to do in your life because I promise you it's better than what you can come up with on your own. It reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. The same way after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for the raging questions in our mind where we don't know where you are. We don't know what you're gonna do. We don't know how you're gonna show up. However, we are absolutely able to trust that you will. You've done it a thousand times. You are going to show up and we're gonna see that you've been fighting for us all along and we just didn't know. Lord, teach us endurance. Teach us perseverance. Develop in us character. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com. 